Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we get you set for Jets versus Canadians. Murad Atesh of The Athletic stops by to give his thoughts on the upcoming series. And we'll also talk curling with two-time Scotties champ Kerry Anderson on her whirlwind curling journey over the last few months. That's all coming up on the podcast. We welcome in our friend Murad Atesh of The Athletic. Murad, how excited are you that the Jets are finally back on the ice tomorrow? Yeah, I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to see this long-awaited round two after the shock of round one. I, I think that you know Jets fans are as rested and as chomping at the bit as, as the Winnipeg Jets themselves would be right now. Well, one of the topics that we've talked about over the last week has been this rest versus rust point of view. Team 7-7 seven and seven all time coming off a sweep versus a team coming off a of game seven. The last five teams that swept lost in that scenario. And then you see Colorado go out and just paddywhack the Golden Knights 7-1 in the same situation. I think every situation is different. What do you think, based on what you've been hearing from the Jets, how they've treated this long break and how ready they'll be for tomorrow night? Well, I think the biggest challenge of having all of that rest uh, and all of that time to sort of anticipate things is timing the emotional and energetic peak uh, of approaching the new series, right? Uh, I think that it's it's almost more of a psychological thing than a physical thing after a while. And you heard Nate Thompson tell folks today uh, in the media that one of the things that he noticed was that, you know, partway through the practice week, he realized that, yeah, people were about ready and about hungry to start playing against real competition again. I think that what I've observed uh, of the Winnipeg Jets is that that's one of the things that they manage pretty well is the expectations, the emotions, the when to peak, when to have a really aggressive practice, when not to. I think that that's something that may play into their strengths. That said, I don't think they've had a tremendous record, you know, whenever they have had a break over the course of this season. So honestly, Christian, I think this is one of those situations where narrative-wise, you wait to see who wins and you decide what you thought all along, whether it was rust or rest that ended up winning game one or losing it for the Winnipeg Jets. Right, because this in the regular season, and we know that maybe regular season stats should be tossed out, but when they've had four days between games, they're one and two. When they've had three gate days between games, they're one and two. And when it's two gate days between games, they're four and two. When it's one day, it's 19, 14, and three, and then five and three on back-to-back. So they were at their worst when they had the most rest. So we've also learned that regular season information perhaps need not apply when it comes to the playoffs in the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody looked at their record against Edmonton or whether it was the goals, the scoring chances, or the losses and thought that they they would sweep. Um, so there is a certain element of that. And, you know, as much as we talk about rest uh, in those ways, and you can point out their records, all of those all of those records come from a small sample size, right? If you talk about being 2-1 and one or 5-3 and three or something like that, you know, that's you know, from a, it's not enough of a sample to talk about it being predictive. It's the same thing as well. How well did they do on Tuesdays or Thursdays? You know, there's probably not a whole lot of science that goes into it when it's just that few games that we're talking about. So I really don't know that that's the answer. Right. And when you're looking at like how Carey Price did against the Jets this season, he was two, one and one with a nine Oh three save percentage and a three Oh one goals against average. That doesn't really mean anything right now, does it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know that it's it's fair to take those few games, right? I mean, we have Carey Price's career to look at and know that, you know, he's had some periods of time where he was 
the best goaltender on the planet. And certainly in Game 7 against Toronto, he looked like one of the best goaltenders on the planet. He's been playing at a high level throughout the playoffs. Um, maybe not as consistent of a regular season as Connor Hellebuck has had, and maybe not as consistent of the last three or four years as Connor Hellebuck has had. But again, it gets into the, well, how many games do you need to really make your your case of belief? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people around the NHL that look at Carey Price and goal in a big game and think that, well, okay, you believe in that. Um, And I'm certain that Montreal does as well. So they'll have a lot of confidence, uh, whatever the numbers say from the regular season. Carey Price only played 25 games this year. He was hurt for a lot of it. Uh, Outside the crease, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the goalies, but my memory from watching the Montreal Canadiens play the Jets this year, there were a lot of games where the neutral zone was a tough place to get through. And there were some blowouts, yes, but there was also a lot of tight checking hockey. There was three games that went to overtime, so it just shows that these teams were pretty even a lot of the year. And Paul Maurice made this point today they kind of got here similar ways. Great goaltending, shut down the other team's stars, have some overtime success, and just take great advantage of the other team's mistakes. And so how do you look at this series in terms of the matchup outside the crease? Well, yeah, I, I agree with that take, actually, that they got here in, in similar ways. And you can add to that, not many people giving them a chance, right? Everybody talking about the opponent. I'm sure that Montreal was just as sick of hearing Toronto uh, folks talk about Austin Matthews as Winnipeggers were sick about all of the Connor McDavid talk. Um, so there's there's a little bit to, to like there in terms of the underdog versus the underdog in this situation. I also think that in terms of on-paper analysis, this is as close to a 50-50 series as, as you can get. Uh, I I rate both goaltenders very highly. I rate both defenses competitively. I think that where you have you know, an advantage in forward depth for Winnipeg in terms of offensive firepower, well, then you also run into Philip Dano, who is one of the, the world's elite checking line centers as well. I mean, few, few players in the NHL, and we talk about shutdown centers like Adam Lowry or, or the like, but few players play as high of a percentage of their minutes against the elites as Philip Dano does. So he's going to play an absolute factor as well. And when you go line by line, whether it's it's Shifley, Stastny, Lowry, or Thompson, and then you line them up against Philip Deno, um, you've got the sort of kid line with Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, and Cole Caulfield. You look at Jesperi Kotkaniemi on, on line three for Montreal. And then those truculent, uh, um, I, I, I didn't know what word to follow that with, uh, pains in the butt of Corey Perry, Yoel Armia, and Eric Stahl on line four. I mean, there's a lot of depth. I think Montreal... And their depth gets a little bit understated sometimes. And after all of that, after you, you, you go roster point by roster point and conclude that it's actually fairly evenly matched, I think it goes right back to exactly what you said. It's about style of play. It's about how well Winnipeg can endure Montreal's fast, hard forecheck, move the puck effectively out of its neutral zone, or sorry, out of its own zone through the neutral zone and actually create an attack. And Christian, what I like about any 50-50 series, which is how I view this, is that it comes down to execution. It comes down to who rises to the moment, who makes that play, who makes that five-foot pass, absorbs the hit, gets the puck up to, we'll say, Nick Gehler's flying through the neutral zone, and then something good happens. And I think those are the storylines we'll be looking for, is the moments that decide whether whether a winner or a loser comes out of that 50-50 bet. I'm also anticipating that those fans that are, were given a roller coaster ride in round one with the game being tied for most of four games and the Jets leading for less than 20 minutes throughout. I think we're going to see that again where there won't be a lot of goals. There'll be a lot of close games, a lot of time spent tied or within a goal. 
I think it's going to be a real nervous, a nervy roller coaster for fans. How do you see it? You know what? That makes sense to me, especially when you imagine that once teams do break through the, you know, the tough grinding game, they have the goaltenders that they do to try to beat at the end of that, right? Like you have Connor Hellebuck, I think, leading the NHL in the in playoffs, goal saved above expectation, and Carey Price isn't that far behind. So you go through the forecheck, you go through the neutral zone, you get to the middle of the ice, which is tough to do against your Shea Weber's and Ben Chirots of the world, you get the scoring chance and then Carey Price is there, or the same way in the other direction, right? And so I'm imagining that, that you're spot on. There are going to be long grinds where um, where it's a, an extremely close game. And, and then you look for those mental mistakes or those breakdowns or those superlative plays. And I think that's what playoff hockey is about, that it is as close it is, as it is. Everybody's working as hard as they can. And then you get the moment that decides everything. And that's just good storytelling. Now, when you see the Colorado Avalanche beat the Golden Knights on Sunday night, and think, oh, so the winner of this plays the winner of that. What does that make you think as a hockey fan? We're going to enjoy this series. It's the All-Canadian Final. I get the sense that all of a sudden reality sets in if all of a sudden Colorado's waiting for you in round three. (laughs) I I think so. That's my perspective on it. And we we don't need to trust my bracket because, you know, I went six and eight in the first, or six and two, six wins out of eight in the first round. did you get wrong? Canada, right? So you can <laughs> yeah, throw out what I know. <laughs> <laughs> Canada on both sides. You know, Winnipeg's win and Montreal's was my bracket buster. So, you know, as much as I have Colorado beating Vegas as well as the, the next team they play, as well as winning the Stanley Cup in my bracket and in, in, in my best guesses from where I sit, we know that anything can happen in hockey. Um, and at the end of the day, you know what I think? This is a very specific reference. I know Game of Thrones was a really popular show, oh, but boy. this kind of feels... This kind of feels like a battle for kings of the north between Montreal uh, and Winnipeg, just to find out that there's an army of the dead marching south with a with a great big dragon on their side and and all of those sorts of things. I don't know if Nathan McKinnon is the dragon or what. We're not thinking this all the way through, but there is a great power waiting for whoever wins between Winnipeg and Montreal. Yeah, you lost me. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I've seen like ten minutes of it, maybe, and it's because when I was in university, I walked into the living room and. I think an episode called The Red Wedding was on, and that so I saw something very pivotal at that moment. I won't spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it, but anyway, enough Game of Thrones chat. I will have I will <laughs> say this much. I don't think, as a fan, I don't think it, it's worthwhile looking ahead to round three, right? I think, and I don't think fans are. I think they're. This is just me because I'm always looking around the rest of the league, and Tampa just scored to take a one nothing lead on the Hurricanes, but. I'm I'm locked into the rest of the, the, the playoffs, but if you're a Jets fan right now, your only focus is the Montreal Canadiens and the fact that this playoff series, Murat, may never happen again because it would have to be in the Stanley Cup Finals after this year. I think people are going to really treasure that. Yeah, you know what? I think, once again, another great point. It's It's such a unique circumstance, and, you know, we're getting a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of pandemic. I, I don't want to say light at the end of the num- tunnel, but our – I guess our numbers are inching in a, in a positive direction in Manitoba and certainly elsewhere in Canada as well. So ideally, this means we're never looking at a pandemic, you know, massively changed season again, which means just like you say, this is once in a lifetime aside from Stanley Cup finals for Winnipeg and Montreal. And that's special. That is a unique thing. Uh, you know, both teams are storied franchises, obviously Montreal being an original six team, Winnipeg having kind of three different eras, WHA, Jets one and two. 
there's a lot of history here. And both teams, just by playing against each other, will be making history. So I really appreciate that point, that fans will, will probably be just appreciating how unique and special uh, of an opportunity that this is. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's the only second-round matchup that features two teams from opposite province, or not provinces, conferences, and might be the only kind of irregularity in the whole bracket because it's already guaranteed that the Boston Islanders winner will play the Carolina-Tampa winner, so... It's this might be it. So I guess I cherish it as uh, as you as you do. One last question before I let you go. Would you be bold enough to predict the series right now? <laughs> Happy to provide my best guess, though, as we know, I'm 0-2 in Canada. The, the rest of the world has been kinder to me. I honestly think that it's a 50-50 series that the Winnipeg Jets have an advantage in because of the way that they played in their sweep and also because of the rest that they have. So when it comes down to those moments, those 50-50 moments that I talk about, mental mistakes or breakdowns or a special play, I feel like Winnipeg is the one that finds the special play uh, more so than the fatigued breakdown. So I'm looking at the Jets in, in six or in seven. All right, there you go. Murat Atesh, you can find us great work in The Athletic. Murat, we'll see you in the press box tomorrow night. I love it. Can't wait. Thanks, Christian. And we turn our attention now to curling. And the season is over in Canada. And what a season it was in the Calgary bubble. Scotties, Briar, Mixed, Worlds, two Grand Slams. It was a busy time. And perhaps it was busiest for no one more than it was for Carrie Anderson, who competed in five of the events in the bubble before flying to Scotland for the World Mixed Doubles Championship. I caught up with the two-time Scotties champ today who was stuck in her basement going through quarantine rules. And I asked her how long she's been home for. I got back from Scotland on the 24th. Yeah, I landed in Calgary and had to uh, stay a couple days there until I got my negative COVID test. All right. So how does it feel to kind of be home and things kind of back to normal now? Uh, Not quite, because I still have to self-isolate, so I haven't been able to see uh, much of my family and friends, (laughs) even though you can't do that anyways. So, um, yeah, I've just been in my basement, and um, yeah, it's been challenging. (laughs) So you're home, but not not quite yet. Right. (laughs) Okay. So... The the last four months, did it go by fast or did it, because you, you did so much curling, so many COVID tests, I mean, there's a whirlwind of, of curling. What was it like for you to be a part of that? Um, it definitely actually went by pretty fast. The first, um, the first, like, it's always those few days where you had to self-isolate in the hotel room by yourself. Those were the longest days. Um but uh, once you started playing and everything, the days just uh, flew by. And uh, it's definitely been challenging and emotionally, and but it was so memorable also. Looking at the, the curling angle of it, was the quality of play everything you hoped it would be in the bubble? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, even though we haven't been able to um, practice as much as we would normally practice, um, I thought we played amazing, and so did the other teams for not being on the ice um, as much as 
any other season. Um, there was a lot of great shot making happening out there. When you look back at the experience in the bubble, is there anything you would have changed or did it go pretty much as well as it could have? It went as well as it could have. Um, we didn't know what to expect going in and what it would be like. Um, but, um, yeah, I thought we did a really great job of it. And thank God for FaceTime because I FaceTime my girls twice a day. And um, in Scotland, that was challenging with the time change. I remember I was missing them so much. And it was 1 o'clock in the morning, Scotland time, so which was 7 o'clock here. And I had to call the girls. I was just so lonely and uh, missing them. And, um, yeah, so that time change made things a little more difficult to uh, to phone home. Correct me if I'm wrong. This was your first mixed doubles experience, period, right? Yes. Um, our very first Brad and I playing together was in uh, at Nationals. So that was our very first. And, uh it was awesome. We just went out there and we just enjoyed every moment and just had fun. And then, um, yeah, and then we ended up winning, which was pretty awesome. We we had uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and so hopefully we can keep that going into the trials. I mean, it shows that you know you get two multi-time national champions in, in regular curling. It could lend itself well to, to mixed doubles curling. What did you really, did you have any thoughts about what mixed doubles could be like before that tournament? I've made sure to watch like a few games back, uh, even games that Brad played in. So I kind of knew how he was out there. Um, but yeah, I had no idea how to really play the game. And there's just so many different strategies and, those angles, you have to make sure you got those angles right. Um, because sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, we're looking great. And then all of a sudden they make a shot and we're looking against four. We're like, holy, <laughs> how ends can turn around so quickly. It's, but that's what makes that game so um, interesting. Do you think that mixed doubles has a chance to kind of become more popular in the mainstream? I think so, um, and I think a lot of teams are going to start playing it, but it's just hard because you, it's hard to fit that into your uh, four-person curling because our schedules are so hectic as it is. So we definitely, um, it's not quite like the Europeans. Um, they played a lot more, but uh, we're definitely getting more into it. What about the club level, or is it? tougher just because it's two people and ice time is kind of limited or expensive do you think it has a chance there um i know a few leagues like winnipeg beach uh they have a league and uh they uh have quite a few teams and it's it's a lot of fun i was thinking of possibly joining at one point and but with me it's hard because i am away <laughs> a lot so it's tough for me to join a join a league but uh, I know they have uh, they have leagues, and I've heard of other people or other uh, curling clubs having leagues, and it it's a hit. Cool. Okay. Now the going to Scotland part of things. I'm sure going into the bubble in Calgary in February, going to Scotland in May probably wasn't part of the plan. Uh, definitely not, because when Brad and I um, agreed to play together, there was no. Uh, Nash or no worlds 
So we're like, okay, yep, sure. And then I'll, as soon as we uh, ended up winning, they're like, there's a world happening in Scotland. We're like, what? <laughs> Holy man, we didn't see that coming. We weren't sure what that was going to look like uh, in the bubble. So, uh, and it, it was, it worked out really well. Everyone was negative and no scares or anything um, with all the testing. Was there any hesitancy at any point just because it was so quickly right after the women's worlds or did that actually make it easier to go because you were already kind of in quarantine um it it was challenging to make that decision um it was hard on my family um and uh to be away for almost two months it was mentally uh mentally tough but it was a decision I made and uh, with my family and everyone supported that decision and um, I was going to come home after, um, women's worlds for like a day, but I thought that would make things a lot harder. And I wasn't sure if I was even allowed to see them, my uh, children. So, uh, decided to just stay that extra couple days in Calgary and wait to fly out to Scotland. And, um, yeah. And then Brad, for him to make that decision, he needed to hear from, um, the Newfoundland government that they he could see his family um, because he had also been away from them for eight weeks. Um, so he wanted to make sure to see them while he was quarantining when he arrived home, and they let they let that happen, and uh, that's how that decision happened. Where he said that he would play. Easier flight for him to Scotland, though. Um, actually, no. Or is it not? Does he have to go to Toronto <laughs> first? Yeah, he had to go to Toronto ah. and stay a night in Toronto. He also had to leave, leave a day earlier because his flights originally got canceled. Oh, no. So I had a direct flight from Calgary to um, Amsterdam, and then we met in Amsterdam. Oh, I guess, yeah, there probably wouldn't be a, what am I thinking? There probably wouldn't be a direct flight from St. John's to Scotland. My bad. No. Nope. <laughs> I guess he could have taken a boat. Uh, so... Look, yeah. Looking at, uh, I guess, now, how, how long until you can kind of live a normal life and get out of your basement? <sighs> I'll be out of here June 8th, <laughs> and I return to work. So um, I'm really excited to see everyone at work and all my employees and residents, and I know they're excited to have me back, and I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of work to catch up on. <laughs> I saw pictures of you in a Jets jersey and Heather Nettowin in an Oilers jersey. Was there some good-natured ribbon when the Jets swept the Oilers? Oh, yeah. I was uh, giving her some slack a few times. <laughs> I would wake up because the games we couldn't watch because the time changed. And I'd wake up, well, Heather, how are you this morning? <laughs> and she would be like, don't even talk to me. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, lots of fun having... Uh, that rivalry, rivalry going with between us, and uh, yeah, it was uh, lots of fun. And I'm glad the Jets won. <laughs> They're still going, and uh, they play again tomorrow night. So, uh, looking at, uh, I guess the the rest of the summer, you got work and uh, I guess normal things to get back to. But do you feel like you're going to cherish family time even more after the last few months being away so much? Yeah, I'm definitely gonna. Um, cherish that time with my family and because uh, I don't know what next season is going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be a bubble again and um, having to be away f- from your family f- again for a month or two, you know. So 
uh, just making sure we're spending a lot of time uh, uh, focusing on our families and uh, making up that time that we lost with them. Just a logistical question. So you're in your basement. Do you, do you get like brought food? How does this work? Yeah, my husband brings me food at the top of the stairs, and I go and get it. Um, and if say if no one's home, I if I go upstairs to get something, I just make sure I sanitize everything and that anything I touch, whatever, um, that I'm not in contact with with any of them. So, do you still like talk up the stairs, just like yelling back and forth? Yeah, and it's a good thing that I can, they can see me, like if they looked over the balcony, they can see me, so that's uh, something that uh, they yell at me, hi Bob, how's it going down there? <laughs> oh good, <laughs> um, but it's nice I have my gym set up so I can get back to uh, do my workouts and things like that. Is it nice to take a break now from curling for a bit? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, nice to have that mental break and uh, try and get back to a normal routine. <laughs> well, Carrie, I'll, uh, I'll let you go now. Thanks for your time. Uh, good luck in the, your basement for the, the week, and uh, we'll talk to you once the, uh, the next season gets going. Perfect. Thanks so much. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more. Every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the